the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter uh, 12 this evening. In this uh, message, as I was studying this passage, it just came to light that really what this passage is dealing with is our responsibility to care for one another or our high calling of life together as a church body. And, um, I mean, when you read through the book of Hebrews, you're familiar, the, the warning passages. Um, it's a book that just sets forth the supremacy of Christ over all things, over everything in the Old Testament, over the angels, um, o- over the Old Covenant, um, over the, uh, the priesthood of Levi, uh, the sacrifice uh, that had to be offered year after year. His sacrifice is superior, offered once and for all. And so we see it just sets forth the supremacy of Christ. And evidently for these believers who are, for some reason, in some way, kind of being drawn back to Judaism and to the old way. And uh, we know in the early church, just the, the trials, the tribulations, uh, that there were for identifying with Christ. Um, it's what we hear of uh, throughout the world in many places today, in the Middle East um, and in, in other countries, Asian countries, this persecution that comes for identifying with Jesus Christ. And that's what it was here for the early Christians um, in, in regards to the Roman Empire. To identify with Christ uh, meant hardship, and they experienced that. Uh, it, it talks about that in, in chapter 10, how they, um, in chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. And so they, they experienced that, and, and possibly the reason that some of, of, of this teaching that they're receiving in regards to Judaism or the old way was maybe sounding good to them is because maybe you'd be able to avoid some of this persecution. But something else that seems to happen in the midst of persecution or that can happen is that we start to uh, draw apart from one another into isolation. And, and we see that when he exhorts them in, in chapter 10 about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as, as is the manner or habit of some, but he says encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so when we come to chapter 12, he, he exhorts them more in regards to this relationship that we have towards one another as the body of Christ. And, and, and instead of drawing away from or separating, thinking, you know what, it, it'll be easier this way. And, and we do it in our own trials, don't we? We do it in our own little ways. When we start dealing with tough situations where maybe we just want to draw back and say, you know, I just don't want to face it. You know, no, nobody else seems to be having these struggles uh, or whatever it is. And there can be this tendency to isolation. There's a proverb, Proverb 18.1, that says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. 
and it's amazing as we see uh, the early the, the church in its infancy as it was started just in the midst of this persecution and how they are exhorted in in first john you know you pass from darkness to light because you love the brethren their commitment to one another we see that around the world amazing believers that will sacrifice everything to meet in caves uh they'll meet at all uh times of of the night to be together to encourage one another and with that same fervor we need to be diligent in our relationship with one another So here in Hebrews 12, let's go ahead and start reading here in verse 1. Remember in in chapter 11, we have the examples of of faith. In verse 39 of chapter 10, he said, We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. And then he talks about this faith. And then in verse 12, he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now our focus is verses 12 through 17. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, And make straight paths for your your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Lord, I just ask once again, as we uh, come and have this time in your word right now, Lord, I just ask for your help. Lord, I pray, may you encourage our hearts, Lord, this evening. 
Lord, may we receive this exhortation God asks from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in chapter 12, he sets forth this imagery, this picture of the Christian life as running a race, running a race. And and we know it's not a a sprint. We know it's not just a 100-yard dash, a 40-yard dash. It's It's a marathon. And he sets forth forth this imagery, encouraging the believers here to run the race with endurance. And and you put off everything that would entangle you, that would keep you from running this race and finishing the race. And as we come to uh, verse 12, it seems that he, he picks up again on this picture of running the race. He says, therefore, and here we have imperatives. He says, therefore, strengthen. And then verse 13, and therefore, and he says, make straight another command. And then verse 14, pursue. So these exhortations that he's given them. But he says, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Any runners here? I mean, we know this is reality, right? Not too many hands went up. We need to get you guys out there Sunday afternoon with all the kids, right? They run races. But you run for an extended period of time, and what? I mean, you're, even your, your arms can droop, can hang low. Your, your knees definitely get feeble. And you see them at the end of these long races. These guys are falling over at the finish line. I mean, they've given it their all. That's all they can do. And some of them falling and not finishing the race. But here he exhorts them. I mean, we, we know they are, I, I mean, their knees are feeble. They are weak. They're in the midst of the battle and, and, and they are struggling. And so he commands them, strengthen the hands. And notice he doesn't, he doesn't say strengthen your hands. He says strengthen the hands. The view of strengthening doesn't seem to merely be ourselves, but others. There are times when we're the ones needing strengthened, and then there are the times that we are the ones needing to strengthen others. It's just as we heard brother a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning share. In encouraging someone, I was encouraged. And often that's how the Lord works, doesn't it? But if we're sitting back saying, you know what, I need it, I'm not getting it, I'm not getting it, I'm not getting it. The Lord is saying, look in who, and see who can you be encouraging. And how often the Lord then will encourage us and give us exactly what we needed for the race. So strengthen. Strengthen literally means to straighten up from a bent position. Sometimes we, we just we need that help. The race, it, it gets hard. It gets tiresome. We get weak. And we need that person to come alongside us, that brother or sister to come alongside us and just, and just help us up, to straighten us up, to, to see things clearly, to see things rightly, to encourage our hearts. So he says, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak. And let me back up here a little bit. The verses 4 through 11, talking about 
uh, the discipline of a loving father. He, he says, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. So they're, they're going through these trials. They're going through these struggles, these tribulations. But they're, they're forgetting, evidently, the hand of God in these trials in their life. They're forgetting that these things are from the Lord. And so in, in regards to this, they're needing strengthen. Strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble. And he says then, make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Just st- stand with this imagery, this picture of running a race, this path that could refer to a running lane or a track of a will. And he says, so make your paths straight. I mean, you've helped people who maybe need help walking, and you're watching the path, aren't you? You're saying, hey, watch out, there's a step here. You have two more steps to go. Watch out, there's a little hole here on the ground. Let's go around this way, or we're pulling people up uh, to the door there and and helping them out, assisting them in. We're, We're watching the path. We're making our paths straight. And we think about Proverbs 4. Let me read a few verses out of Proverbs 4 to you, verses 20 to 27. You see the direct correlation here with Hebrews. He says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. That's making your path straight, isn't it? That, that's guarding our path. That's watching our path. And and he tells them how to do this, how to make your path straight. Watch over your heart from all diligence, or with all diligence. Put away a deceitful mouth. Put devious speech far from you. And let your eyes gaze straight ahead, directly ahead. Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He will make your paths straight. This trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not leaning on your own understanding. He makes our paths straight. Psalm 119, 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? What's the answer? By keeping it according to his word. So how do we keep our paths straight? How do we make straight paths for our feet? It's by keeping our way according to his word, isn't it? It's by, it's by guarding our steps, by guarding our paths. If we're putting things before us that can cause us to stumble and very likely cause our brothers and sisters to stumble, we are not making our paths straight and and we're giving uh, great if that's the way to say great options or possibilities for those uh, for the weak arms the feeble knees to stumble 
you know, sometime in the after, Sunday afternoon, you'll see some older guys out there playing with the younger guys. And I know if I'm one of them, you know, the younger guys might think, these guys are just taking it easy. No, we're just watching the paths of our feet. I mean, we have feeble knees and weak arms. We're thinking, man, just one little turn and I could be out for a year. And we're guarding, we're watching our steps, we're thinking about it. And spiritually, we, we can become lazy and we, we need to guard our paths. We need to make them straight according to God's word. We need to give attention to this, just like we do when we have a hurt part of our, our own physical body. We pay attention to it. We, we baby it until it, it heals. And it, but if we don't, it, it takes a lot longer, doesn't it? The injury can become worse. But all, the, all this is for the care of one another. Notice what he says, the purpose here. In verse 13, make straight paths for your feet. Why? So that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Once again, what seems to be in view here is not just merely an an individual, but the body, the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers here. And so he says, make paths straight. Why? For the good of the body, so that... The limb or that which is lame, it would not be put out of joint, but rather that it may be healed. So here exhorting them, I mean, you are you're necessary for one another. You have a high calling in serving and ministering to one another, helping one another in this race. Turn to the book of Ephesians quickly and read a verse, and we'll come back to Hebrews. Ephesians 4 also speaks of the necessity of the body of believers, of one another. Ephesians 4. Read 14 and 15 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. So that every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You see that? The necessity of every member of the body. God has sovereignly placed us together in a way that we need each other. We need each other for this race. We need each other for this Christian life without which we are severely handicapped. Okay, so we have those two commands then. Strengthen, make straight. And now verse 14, he says, pursue. Pursue, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 
And the way we do this is verse 15 and 16 and 17. The way we do this is to see to it. See to it. This word here for see to it is the same word used in 1 Peter 5 to, to describe the work of a shepherd exercising oversight. The word there, oversight. So just this idea here, I mean, it, it, and just in the context here of applying to the, the body of believers that we have a responsibility to care for one another. Now, it's not in the same capacity as 1 Peter 5 there and for uh, the shepherds, but yet we have a responsibility in, in caring for and looking out for one another. Giving attention to one another. And what are we to give attention to? What are we to see to for one another? Well, it's threefold here. That no one comes short of the grace of God. That's the first thing. And secondly, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And then thirdly, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. So how do we give attention to one another? How do we give attention to this pursuing peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord? Well, we see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on each one. We're going to spend a little more time on the second one there, on bitterness. But here for the Hebrew believers, they will come short of the grace of God if they revert back to the elementary things of the Old Covenant. And think about this. He, he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. What a, what a heavy phrase here for us to think about in relationship to one another that we have. Revealing to us the responsibility we have to one another as we meet together, to see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. There's a lot there for us to think about and to consider in, in regards to our relationship, our responsibility to one another. And we'll let's skip that second one right now and go to the uh, last one. There and just briefly, it says that there be no immoral or godless person. Immoral, verse uh, chapter 13, verse 4, he said, in regards to immorality, it says fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So the marriage bed is to be held in, in honor. And so immorality and then godless, it, it doesn't seem that the reference to Esau uh, here is connected both to the immoral and godless, but to the godless. And in their godless, it means pertaining to being worldly as opposed to having an interest in transcendent matters. And, I mean, what an example there in Esau, isn't it? Who, just in an instant, uh, for a mill, uh, was willing to sell his birthrights. So we know Esau to be an example of this. And just this week, I heard a, a, a preacher say this. 
He says, do not sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. And, and that just goes right along here with what Esau did um, and what it's exhorting us here in regards to this as well. Not to be godless. Do not sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. To think we're eternal beings. We're to be thinking ahead. We're to be thinking in regards to, to God in regards to what he would have for us today because it matters eternally. This isn't all that matters. Eternity is what matters. Okay, now I think we'll spend the rest of our time on this second one here. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Deuteronomy 29.18, which is, seems to be closely related here to this passage in Hebrews, says, So that there will not be among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. So that, that root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood, the root, it's probably anything that led to idolatry, or apostasy, guard this, watch this. And this is what we want to deal with, isn't it? It's the root. It's the root of things. And there's some things that we don't ever want there to even be a root of, right? I mean, we want to keep the seed from ever uh, even having an opportunity to plant itself in our heart, in our soul. And, and this bitterness certainly is um, one of those things. But we, want, we need to deal with the root of matters. And it says here to be careful, to be sure that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. Bitterness, one uh, definition says this, a state of sharp, intense resentment or hate. And it is that. But doesn't it seem that often bitterness is, seems to be a little more subtle oftentimes than that too? Maybe it's not. We can sit back and say, well, that's, I, there's not any of that, but... Still, there could be bitterness in our hearts. It, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a subtlety about bitterness that can easily creep into our lives, unrecognizable for a long period of time. But at some point in time, it, it certainly will show itself, won't it? Ephesians 4.31 shows us that this bitterness, it's part of the old nature. It's what's to be put away. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And so we see, I mean, the connection of these, uh, these descriptions of the old nature, this bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. There's a connection there between all of those, isn't there? Often bitterness at some point in time will show itself through anger. Whether it's a brooding anger inside or whether it's an explosive anger uh, that comes out at some point in time it, it will show itself so this root of bitterness watch out for it and don't we find that uh, here the, the more that we are around each other the more time we spend with one another the more there is of the possibility of this bitterness creeping in, 
towards another individual. The more there is the possibility that we do something to offend a brother or sister or that someone does something to offend us and it's not dealt with, and this unforgiving spirit then can, um, can grow and it can, and, and can become worse and worse and become this root of bitterness in our hearts. I mean, the relationships that we are closest um, in, I think, can have the greatest danger in this regard. Our spouses, our children, um, and, and one another as, as a body of believers that meet regularly and spend a lot of time together that we need to be on guard against. Well, what are some indications that we might have an unforgiving spirit? As when we think about bitterness, what is, what is often at the root of bitterness is an unforgiving spirit. There can also be envy. Envy can lead to bitterness towards others, but often what's at the root is, is a bitterness or an unforgiveness towards somebody. And let me just give some indications that we may have an unforgiving spirit. And most of these are taken from a book by Nancy Lee DeMoss on choosing forgiveness. The first eight are. So let me read these. I often replay in my mind the incidents that hurt me. So some indications we have an unforgiving spirit. When I think of a particular person or situation, I still feel angry. I try hard not to think about the person, event, or circumstances that cause me so much pain. I have a subtle secret desire to see this person pay for what he or she did to me. Deep in my heart, I wouldn't mind if something bad happened to the person who hurt me. I often find myself telling others how this person has hurt me. A lot of my conversations revolve around this situation. Whenever his or her name comes up, I am more likely to say something negative than something positive about him or her. And then a few others here. Another indication that we may have an unforgiving spirit that can lead to bitterness, or maybe it has, is that we withhold love from a person. May we have a spirit of anger. May we avoid the the person, the individual. Or we always justify our behavior. You know, if she would always change. I mean, the problem's not with me, but this is constant, always, over and over. If that person would only change, then then there would be no problem. For always justifying our behavior, it could be an indication that we have an unforgiving spirit and possibly bitterness in our hearts. And we can't forget the possibility of bitterness towards God, right? I mean, think about the situation here in Hebrews. That could be a road they're going down if they haven't already gone down that road. As he he exhorts them to remember, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. They could be blank. God, why am I, if you would only have changed situations, this wouldn't have happened. Why are you doing this in my life? Start blaming God, becoming angry with God. 
because of what's happened in our life. Not recognizing the loving hand of the Father in all these situations in my life. Not recognizing the loving Father who has brought this person that I am struggling with right now into my life. And that He is calling me to forgive. That He is calling me to love. You've probably heard it said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else would die. We need to have a, a, an earnestness about us to pursue the, pursue peace with all men, the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. How? By seeing to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. Think about that, what it says there in regards to bitterness. Don't let a root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by it many be defiled. Many be defiled. When we sin, we do not sin alone, do we? We do not sin in a, in a vacuum to where it only affects us. When, when we have the spirit of unforgiveness... No matter how private we might think it is or feel that it is, it's not. It's affecting others around us. It is affecting the body around us. And he says, by it many be defiled. Often when a runner is running in a race and he stumbles, oftentimes he's not the only one to stumble, is he? There's others who get thrown off their pace. There's others who stumble along with him. And we can think that we're we're handling the situation right, but if we're not forgiving them, we are not. We are deceiving ourselves. So what are we to do? What are we to do about this Root of bitterness. Forgive. Forgive. Let's just look at a few verses in regards to this. Mark eleven twenty five says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. Forgive them. But wait, but they've done this, but there's this situation, but this, but how I can't just let them off the hook. Forgive them. Forgive them. Well, what if they're the one who has a problem with us? It's not that we have done anything to them, but they've done it to us. They need to come to me, right? Matthew five twenty three to 24 says, If you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So there in Mark 11, it was if you have anything against anyone. And then in Matthew 5, as if it's if a brother has something against you, go to them, be reconciled. And remember the beatitude. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's blessed to be merciful. 
And that's what God's calling us to do here. In forgiving is to be merciful, for you will receive mercy. And be merciful just as you have received mercy, right? Just as we have received much mercy, much more mercy than we'll ever give to anybody. God has given to us. Blessed are the merciful. Just a few concluding thoughts here. Just in regards to the body, this high calling that God has given us in life together, in our relationship with one another, in caring for one another. In Hebrews here, they're going through trials, they're going through tribulations. The answer is not, hey, just take a break for a while. Hey, just, you need, just separate, just go your own way, just handle your own issues, your own selves. No, it's, it's to care for one another. It's to strengthen one another. It's to help one another. So what can we do? that there may not be a a root of bitterness springing up among us, causing trouble, and by it many to be defiled. Here's just a few thoughts. Do not let a seed of unforgiveness be planted in our hearts. Forgive. Be quick to confess sin. Ephesians, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil opportunity. I mean, it's amazing how we can give the devil opportunity, give him place in our lives through an unforgiving spirit, through an anger, through through anger towards someone else. And how through that then Satan can come in and work in our lives. And, and this is something I experienced not long ago. I mean it's like everything in my life came to a, a head and just frustration and frustration with everybody. <laughs> And I was like, what, what is this? What's going on? And God showed me some areas that it's unforgiveness. And he showed me some individuals. And it was me giving place to the devil. So be quick to confess sin. Recognize the loving hand of your heavenly father in every situation. Remember Joseph? When we think of bitterness, we think of handling it. I mean, we think about Joseph. I mean, he, he, God allowed him to have this view of his working in his life through all these wrongdoings by people towards him, those closest to him, his brothers. And his brothers are fearful when they finally see that it's Joseph. But Joseph says, you know what? It wasn't you. It was God. It was God who did this. It was God who brought me here. And that's the... Uh, the view that we need to have. That's the reality we need to have is a loving hand of our Heavenly Father in every situation. And conclude with this, 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. That's what we need, isn't it? We need to be fervent in our love for one another fervent in our love because love covers a multitude of sin. Well, may the Lord help us, help us to be faithful in, in truly what I think Hebrews is talking about here, this high calling of relationship with one another, of ministering uh, with one another as a body of Christ.